Today's teaching text comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If hundreds of years from now, someone found a letter that had been written to the residents of New York, uh, but the person who found the letter had no idea of the events that had transpired in New York in the early part of, of this century, they might get something meaningful from the letter anyway, um, but there would be things they would miss. So if you were to find a letter and you know you were to hear, New York, I know your towering loss, uh, that you have been wounded and scarred so deeply. I have seen your fear, but also how you've rallied to each other's side. Stand by the pools of remembrance and see that freedom stretches to the sky. You might think, oh, that's some nice imagery. Um, you know, whoever's writing this is hoping um, that the people can move through something painful. Uh, you know, the, the, the person, you know, not having any specific things to anchor, you know, the understanding of this imagery might begin to fill in the details of their own life and think about things that, that they need to move through or that, you know, ways they, they need freedom or pools of remembrance. And, um, but as soon as someone who had lived in New York or knew of the events uh, of, of New York City saw the letter, they would say, oh, towering loss rallying to each other's side, pools of remembrance, freedom stretching to the sky, they would know these are references to actual events and actual places. The person who didn't know those events might, might, might still find something inspiring in the words, uh, but someone who knew what had happened would see how specific the connections are. I have absolutely marveled uh, as I've looked at these letters in Revelation at how specific, uh, how specifically known these cities are and, and the, how specifically known the churches in these cities are. God is using John uh, to, to say to these cities, I know you, I see you. And I hope that that comes so powerfully through to you today, that God is saying to you, I know you, I see you. 
not in some vague, generally inspiring way, even though that might be okay, that might be good at, at points. But God is saying, I know you, I see you in an incredibly nuanced, detailed, remarkably specific way a loving way, a way that's like, I am a good, good father who wants to reveal how much I know you, how much I see you, how much I love you. Actually, the layers of specificity in these letters are are really incredible. They reach back centuries into Israel's history, into the Hebrew scriptures, but they also reach down deep into the specific historical context going on in in these cities. And, um, I've always had this general assumption. You might think, I'm a, I, you know, this guy's a pastor. My, my cards are on the table about being, you know, into the Bible. But uh, as I've looked into these 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 cities in Revelation, and specifically Philadelphia, I was like, it was become so clear to me there is absolutely no way that these scriptures were put together just based on human effort alone. It's just, it's absolutely impossible. The more you look at it, there is a unified, coherent voice that connects these authors across different contexts, across different centuries, across different voices, um, and, 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 for every and, and they're they're there, but for every one like seeming contradiction that you stumble across in the scriptures, there are you know ten, twenty, a hundred sort of unifying threads that are there across centuries, across contexts, across authors. Um, and I've just been thinking about the beauty of that and the love of God, you know, coming through that in such a committed way. So. How incredible is it that God knows us and sees us and doesn't just love us in a, in a general way, but in a detailed, nuanced, specific, tender care kind of way? And I've, I've had a few experiences that resonate in my life, you know, that, that, that accord with that reality. That, that God knows us and sees us. It's where times where his tender, specific cares come pouring through to me. And, and quite often it's been um, a, a few times where people who didn't even know me that well or didn't know what was going on in my life pray, prayed for me in a specific way, right? These are times when God has used someone to remind me of how well I am known. Some of you have heard some of these stories. I was in London in 2017 uh, in the basement of a pastor's house there and a group of leaders got around me and began praying. And all of us that, that knew, knew one another were looking around and we were laughing. And then later we were crying because it was like these people had been reading my journal. It was like they knew me uh, so deeply and intimately. It was because the Holy Spirit was informing them. And the experience was like going through uh, you know years of counseling in, in a relatively short amount of time. It was such a powerful experience. I had a similar uh, experience uh, on a pastor's retreat in Pennsylvania when the, with TGC pastors around around me and praying for me. And God was giving these gentlemen like words to speak over me that they had no idea how much I needed to hear that. I think about Ellie Mumford um, from the Vineyard Movement praying for me a couple of years ago at a conference and I'm not even knowing some of the pain. I was right in the middle of wrestling with them. It was like she was naming it. And uh, I was thinking this week about just a flood of these types of encounters. And I remember Jillian Fritchie 
Uh, at a deacon's meeting a couple of years ago in TGC, I was I was sort of like venting these weaknesses that I have as a pastor and like, uh, you know, frustration at the pain that was causing in the church. And Jillian uh, spoke to me after the meeting and she just said, you know, God knows these things exactly. That he doesn't, he's not, uh, you know, baffled that you're not a different type of person or or that you have these strengths and not these strengths. And uh, I don't know, something about how she said it and in that exact moment, it just resonated. I've come back to that word over and over again, that God knows who I am, that God's put me in this place, that he's not unaware of my weakness. And I just treasure those experiences when God loves us in a way, often through someone else, um, but, but that lets us know how, how well we are known, how much we are seen, how incredibly we are loved. Church, I want to, I want to uh, ask you, do you know that today? That God says to you, I see you. I know you all the way. I know your potential. I know your struggles. I love you more than you can even fathom. These letters have been such a reminder to me of that, that God's love is specific. And, and some of it's been challenging, right? These letters, uh, ha- some of them have felt heavy, like uh, the, the correction is, is, is intense that's coming through them. This is one of the letters that has some of the most uh, commendation of, of all the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. But, but even the way God specifically corrects is different than our wider culture. Like our wider culture praises in general uh, vague terms and, 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 and corrects in general terms as well. And the love of God is so specific. I like how Eugene Peterson says this. He says, there are frenzied efforts in our culture to salvage ruined self-esteem by bolstering people with reassurances and affirmation, telling them they are terrific, they are number one, and they had better treat themselves to a good time. The result is not larger persons, but smaller ones, pygmy egos. And I just think that that's so telling. So often vague affirmations, even when they're well-informed, sometimes they're just being used to sell us things. And, and the, this new product or this new plan is the thing that's going to take you forward because you're amazing. But actually it rings hollow because they're applied in these broad stroke swaths. I... I, I I confess my own, my own laziest parenting moments are when I take some general should and I apply it to my children. And you should be doing this. You should be feeling this. You should be acting that. That's my laziest parenting moments. My, my best are when I come with a specific, nuanced, like surgical type of love. And I say, son, let me lift this thing off of you. This isn't yours to carry. I see how it's weighing you down. Let me lift this off you. And instead, let me put this encouragement. I see how you could grow in this. I see how you could, you could, be, you, you could, you know, come into fullness in, the, in this moment, right? That's, that's actually the type of love we experience from God. It's sturdy, it's surgical, it's specific love. So even when it corrects, it's life-giving, it's necessary. A God who says, I see you, I know you all the way, and I love you. I see your potential, I know your struggles, my love is higher and deeper, longer and wider than you can fathom. 
Two times in my life now, I have stood in very small earthquakes. Uh, one, uh, I was in a mall in a food court in Costa Rica, and it was such a small tremor, but we were on this like outdoor patio balcony area, and the place began to shake, and um, it was absolutely terrifying. All I wanted to do was get down the stairs um, you know, to, to the first level so I could feel stable. And uh, both times when I've experienced even the smallest tremor, whatever else I was doing, immediately it arrested my attention and that became the most consuming thought, right? Whatever was happening sort of melted to the background. Philadelphia in the first century, by the time of the writing of this letter, was a city that had been destroyed by earthquakes twice. Uh, Not like some tremors leveled to the ground two times. The first time was in AD 17, and then it happened again in AD 60. So, a couple of things that are helpful to know about Philadelphia. Philadelphia had a nickname, which was the door. And the reason it was called that was it stood right on the border between Asia and Asia Minor. And so, um, if you were traveling from Asia into Asia Minor, you had to pass through Philadelphia, and it was right on the main highway. If you were going from, from uh, west to east, you passed through the door of Philadelphia. So that was the city's nickname. But the actual name of the city, Philadelphia, changed several times in the first century. It was called Philadelphia, uh, and then when it was destroyed by earthquake in AD 17, it was rebuilt by, by the Caesar, and and you say, well, why? why? Why was it rebuilt? It was a cultural, it was an important cultural outpost. Um, it was like Philadelphia was a missionary city for the culture of the, of the Roman Empire. The Greco-Roman culture that they wanted to be represented across the, the empire, like you live far away from Rome. How are you going to know the stories of Rome, the, 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 in, in, the Pax Romana, the, the good Rome has brought to the world? Well, you need outposts like Philadelphia that are cultural representation points for the, for for Rome. So they were important. They needed to be rebuilt. So Caesar comes in after the earthquake in AD 17, rebuilds Philadelphia, and renames it Neo-Caesarea. Could have brainstormed the name a touch longer, but that's what he came up with, Neo-Caesarea. So, and that was the name of the city until AD 60, and it was leveled again by an earthquake. This time, the city was rebuilt on the resources of a different emperor, Uh, from the Flavian dynasty. Don't have time to get into it, but many people hated uh, the the Flavian dynasty. Their approval rating was super, super low. a couple of reasons for this in Philadelphia in particular. Philadelphia was known for its vineyards. It was famous for its wine. Um, but, the, but the Flavian uh, dynasty in the middle of a grain shortage across the Roman Empire decided that Philadelphia's vineyards uh, were disposable. They tore up 75% of the vineyards in Philadelphia and they planted grain fields. And wait for it, the grain fields never produced grain. So they basically destroyed an entire beautiful industry that had uh, sort of given Philadelphia a sense of identity and renown and left them in a place where they actually weren't helping the problem that these vineyards were destroyed to help. So people didn't like the Flavians, but that didn't stop them from trying to rename the city after themselves, uh, after the emperor. Uh, So the Flavian dynasty rebuilt the city again after AD 60, after this earthquake. They tried to rename the city Flavia. 
I'm resisting right now Flavia Flav jokes. I don't know what you're doing where you are, um, but people hated the Flavians so much that they went back to just saying, nah, we're going to call the city Philadelphia. So it was Philadelphia, Neo Caesarea, Flavia, not really, and then, uh, and then Philadelphia again. This is sort of like, this happens in New York, right? Uh, do you call it the Hugh L. Carey Tunnel? I don't think so. You call it the Battery Tunnel, don't you, right? Uh, do you call it the Ed Koch Bridge or the, Qu- uh, the Qu- Queensboro Bridge? Or maybe you're like Paul Simon fan, it's the 59th Street Bridge to me always. And I say that with no disparagement for Hugh or Ed. Um, and I'm not going to comment about them. But, right, these things happen. They say, no, Flavia, we're going to call this thing Philadelphia. So... It goes back to its original name, which had come from uh, a, 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 the, the brother of a, of a Roman ruler winning a famous battle in that area. So brotherly love, Philadelphia, they went back to their original name. But anyway, what's the point of all that? You did not need a history lesson on the ancient city of, of Philadelphia in Asia Minor in the first century, but this city in the passage is called a door. You are a door. I'm gonna, I, you are a door, and I'm going to open a door that no one else can shut. The city had been renamed several times, and Jesus says to them, I'm going to give you an invincible identity. I'm going to give you a name. The city had been leveled and rebuilt, and God says, you're going to be a pillar that won't crumble, right? And, and, and so you, you begin to see all of a sudden, it starts to shed some real light on, see, I have a place before you, an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Philadelphia was a city that knew what it was to hang on for dear life. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. A door no one can shut. A city with little strength that has fallen twice. How about this? To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem. How many is that? Three names now? Which is coming down out of heaven, my God. I will also write on them my new name, a pillar that will endure and not crumble. A new name for a city that's been renamed, an identity that will last But it's not just for the city at large. God is speaking very specifically to the small group of followers of Jesus that have have begun to gather in Philadelphia. And he knows their specific pain. There was a large influential population of Jewish leaders um, who who, who had influence in the synagogue. And they absolutely refused to accept any of these these new Gentile believers in, 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 in Jesus. They were absolutely not welcome. They had completely rejected them. And. And this uh, you know, small group of Gentile believers, by comparison, had no power, had no influence, right? And so we hear Jesus saying to them, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, a pretty intense uh, word of rebuke from, from the Lord here, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, they are th- though they are not, but are liars, right? They're missing the entire true story of, of Israel and Israel's Messiah coming forward. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge what? What do you imagine would finish that sentence? I will come make them fall down at your feet and acknowledge that they were wrong and you were right? Make them acknowledge that, um, you know, that, that you're a valid participant in the religious landscape and social landscape of the city? Make them acknowledge that, hey, we're actually claiming to worship the same God here? 
Here's how the sentence actually finishes. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That I have loved you. This small, despised, excluded, outcast group in Philadelphia that couldn't find a place to belong. Christ is saying, I'm going to make the, the powerful acknowledge that I have loved you. That my love has been on you. That my affirmation has been on your life. To me, it's a reminder, right, in our modern context that our racism, our bigotry, our our self-obsession, our snobbery or vain uh, exclusions, obviously violence that's racially motivated, right? This cuts against the heart of God. We need to pay real close attention to, you know, where we are in that dynamic. I love, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That is the real difference maker in their story. With the love of God, we cannot fail. With the love of God, we cannot sink. We can come back from any rejection. We can rebuild when we have been shaken to the ground. We can cling to to God's strength in the middle of our very real weakness. We can have God's acceptance pouring over us even in the face of immense rejection. We, we, We can Take the promise of God's protection even in the middle of tremendous trials. God tells the church at Philadelphia, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. God's telling them he's going to protect them in the middle of an immense trial. There's lots of debate on exactly the timing of this and what trial is being referenced here. Um, but the Emperor Domitian unleashed an unprecedented persecution of Christians uh, during his reign. And this might be what is being referred to here. And God's committing to protect them. He knows the specific details they're facing. He knows their pain. He knows their longing. He knows their waiting. He knows the degree of their strength. He knows their true identity. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, each time the city of Philadelphia was rebuilt, an immense amount of the imperial resources were used. And uh, as the rebuilding was taking place or when it was complete, the emperor would come back to view the city to see how they had gotten along with these resources. How, how, how were things going? And, uh, you know, how is the city doing now? And the word that's used for that is parousia. It's the same exact word the New Testament church uses for the return of Christ. Behold, I am coming soon. Parousia. Uh, You know, like this is the idea. I I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Parousia. God knows them. God knows the story. And he's he's reshaping the, the, the narrative in a way that they can see it in light of the gospel. We actually don't even have time to get into all the specific references that are layered through, almost like the hidden sermons that are layered through this passage. But the specific language John uses, if you want to, if you want to have a look, and uh, Isaiah 45, he uses language from Isaiah 45 that specifically references God using a Gentile to rescue his people and to participate in the redemption of Israel. And so that would have been a very important story for what Philadelphia was dealing with, with this growing group of Gentiles who are following 
following the way of Jesus. Isaiah 62, Israel is called by a new name. No longer will I call you deserted. Um, there's words about not losing their crown, right? When these things would have been heard, here's a little tip for reading our Bibles well, is when when an allusion is made to a, a, pa- a passage that came before, the context of that passage is usually fully in mind. And so it's not just that we're borrowing this phrase because it fits well here. No, we're trying to reference back to what was happening here so that you can understand this larger, this larger context and understand how the story is playing out. So that's uh, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 62. Isaiah um, 22 is specifically the passage just mentioned holding the key of David. The one who actually had what? The, the authority of inclusion in the covenants of Israel. A place to worship, a place to belong to a group of people who were feeling wildly excluded to speak to the key of David, right? This golden age moment in Israel and saying, you're welcomed in, you're brought in. I'll give you one, one more. Second Chronicles 3 is a, a, a reference to the pillars in the temple. And it specifically says the pillars in Solomon's temple were set, set up and, and uh, they, were, they were set up in, in a way that um, created a door, which is an interesting uh, illustration for Philadelphia, but also the pillars were given a name. And as these references would, would, would have, you know, like there was no way if you're in Philadelphia, you're not thinking, oh, the pillars and a door and a, and a gateway between east and west. I'm just giving you this in case you want to see how deeply and specifically and in a layered way the love of God is coming through. And whoever wrote this absolutely had help. The book of Revelation can be intimidating for us because there's so much symbolism in it. And and, uh, we need to remember, right, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. And when we say apocalyptic literature, we have to take out of our mind like all the movies that come, you know, come, come into our head. That apocalyptic literature is not writing that is primarily about the end of the world. It may have some things that, that nod towards future telling in them, but it's a type of prophetic writing that uses symbols to speak to the current reality in ways that involve the whole imagination and give reasons for hope. That's what Zechariah, apocalyptic literature, That's what revelation is. It's using symbols to speak to the current reality in ways that give hope, certainly hope for the future and and involve our imagination. Richard Balkum, who I've referenced earlier in this series, one of the most renowned scholars on this book, says revelation is giving us a symbolic world its readers can enter and thereby have their perception of the world in which they live transformed. That's what is happening here. Amidst all of the powerful imagery uh, of the empire, reinforced forced, rebuilt in the city. They're surrounded with this every day. It's what it's the water that they're swimming in. Revelation provides a set of Christian prophetic counterexamples which impress on its readers a different vision of the world. Here's a different vision of the world. So John, exiled on the Patmos, having a revelation, writing this apocalyptic literature, is acting like a prophet. He is, he's being prophetic to the church. He's letting this church in Philadelphia know that they are known deeply and specifically that God is with them, that God is working on their behalf. I, I love how Eugene Peterson describes the work of a prophet. He says, there are two interlaced convictions that characterize a prophet. 
The first conviction is that God is personal and alive and active. The second conviction is that what is going on right now in this world at this time in history is critical. A prophet is obsessed with God and a prophet is immersed in the now. God is as real to a prophet as his next door neighbor. And his next door neighbor is a vortex in which God's purposes are being worked out in the world. God knew exactly what was happening in this ancient city. He knows and cares exactly about what is happening in our city, about what is happening in our lives, right? Right out of the headlines, God's not unaware at all. He sees the violence against our Asian Asian and Asian American neighbors and detests it. He speaks out and asks for others to speak out for all of his image bearers, right? Church, bottom line, when when our, our friends and church family or when our neighbors are concerned about walking down the street in safety, it is all of our concerns. That is reflective of the heart of God, reflective of the reality that every human being is an image bearer. God sees the way that our that we have you know sort of sectioned off into these these uh, polarized divisions as, as a country, and he 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 knows that there is a better way. He's offering us a better way. At, 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 as we've crested over the year mark of this pandemic, as we've we've grieved five hundred thousand plus deaths from this, and many of us have personal stories of loss in this pandemic. All of us have personal stories of our lives being disrupted and wondering how we're going to hang on. Right, mental health struggles are on, on a massive uptick in our society. We're looking around, and so many of us are bruised and hurting. And God sees the exhaustion, and He, he knows it exactly, and He's inviting us to rest. He's inviting us to come to Him. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He knows how many of you are fighting to endure. And he says, I'm with you. You're not alone in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good courage. I have overcome the world, church. He knows so, so specifically every detail. It's like he's read your journal and he, in every secret, he's like, I still embrace you. You have no idea the height and the depth, the length and the width of my love. As specific as he is with this church in the Bible, he is with us. Right? They're called the door because they were the door. He says, I will open a door that can't be shut. You've been renamed multiple times. I'm going to give you a name that represents your invincible identity in my kingdom, in my love. You've had pillars that have crumbled multiple times. I'm going to make you a pillar in my house that will never fall. You've been rejected by those in power. I'm going to publicly testify to you and to them about my love. You've had trials that have been overwhelming. You have come to the end of your strength. I will protect you. I will be near. Where do you need to hear that God has opened a door for you? Cry out in faith, church. Well, where do you need to hear God speak your true name today, your invincible identity? Where do you need help standing up that you're not going to crumble, that you can go forward and make it? Where do you need to hear the affirmation of it and acceptance of Jesus over every other voice, over the small whispers of accusation in your own mind, over any critical spirit or critical voice in your life? Hear the voice of Jesus' affirmation. Run to God for protection. But I want you to know, as much as God is that for us, He also wants us to join in that project in the world. 
He's inviting us to live prophetic lives that show what he is really like. Peterson said it so well, God is as real to a prophet as his next door neighbor. And his next door neighbor is a vortex in which God's purposes are being worked out. So God's saying, hey, I'm looking for people who will prophetically stand up for our Asian and Asian American neighbors. Will you be one? I'm looking for someone who will pass on my affirmation to those who live next door, who feel rejected, who feel alone, who feel forgotten. Right? Some of you need to know today how deeply and truly you are seen, right? That invincible identity that God holds, that He's saying, I want you to have this, that you will not crumble. To the church at Philadelphia, as He's done with each church, Jesus reintroduces Himself, right? Better than Jay Z, even. <laughs> Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is holy and true. I am the one who opens doors. I am the way maker. I want you just to hear those three really quickly. Holy, true, way maker. What are we saying? God is saying there's no one like me. There's no one who knows you so well. Throw out all your other examples and substitutes. Nothing is going to get you close. God is set apart perfect, holy, majestic, beautiful, powerful, but also moving towards us. That actually His holiness, as, as, as intimidating as that could be, is also the thing He's going to give to us as a, as a gift in redemption. He's going to make us like Him. We want so bad to make Him like us, and He's going to make us like Him instead, and it's going to be so much better. He is holy, but also He's true. You can count on this God. No word from God will ever fail. It might not be accomplished according to the timing we would choose, but no word from God will ever fail. And he's a way maker. Man, I have lifted that song up so much in the last couple of years. Uh, it seems to come on at the right moment for me on, on, on walks or runs. And, and that idea that he would open a door that no one else could shut, that the thing that's meant to happen in your life, the, the destiny God is calling you to and leading you to, right? The, 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 the creative person you're meant to be, the friend you're meant to be, the parent that you're meant to be, the husband or spouse that you're meant to be, the, 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 uh, the, the job you're meant to do, the offering you're meant to make in the world, the repair you're, 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 you're meant to, to instigate, the, the systemic oppression you're meant to confront, like the exact vocational calling that God has put on your life. Can you imagine the, the confidence that comes if God says, I'm gonna open this door. Nothing is going to shut it. You're going to walk through into who I've called you to be. I've made works for you to do in advance and you're going to walk in them. The power and beauty of that. Walk with me, he says. I'm the way maker. As you know, each week in this series, several of our leaders have been working on a letter where we're trying to imagine if God was speaking to us like he was speaking to these churches, what might be said. And we're discerning best we can. And of course, we're not writing scripture here. And I hope, though, that you've been able to hear some, some whispers from the Spirit coming through in these words. Um, we're praying and asking God would speak to us. And this is this week's installment. Hear this church. To the church in Brooklyn, I know your story. I have seen the heartache and hardship you have traveled through. 
I've counted the tears you have shed for your individual and collective losses over the years. I know you have had to rebuild several times. There is joy and pain in that. There is endurance and exhaustion. I am near you when you are tired. I have heard your cries of how long, O Lord. Do not forget that I hear you. I see you. You have kept the faith, but as you strive to endure, do not forget I am your good Father. I have seen when you endure from a place of your own effort, You resist what might cause you more discomfort. You hide in apathy or distraction. But then you also carry burdens I have not asked you to pick up. Come under my yoke. It is easy and light. Submit to my lead and walk with me. In your weariness, learn to rest in me. Rest in the certainty of my goodness and righteousness. Rest in my love and press on. Not by your own effort, but with me. Do not be afraid to bear witness to the brokenness around you. Do not be afraid to be a voice for hope. You are not walking through this city alone. I have called you by name, and my kingdom is coming. I have begun a good work in you, and I will complete it. I have begun a good work in your city. I will complete it. Amen. Let me pray for you. Church, would you, (laughs) church, Heavenly Father, would you minister to your church right now? Would you minister your rest to the exhausted? Would you minister your comfort to the hurting? Would you minister your peace to the anxious? God, would you minister your acceptance to those who've been feeling rejected? Would you minister your intimate care to those who feel alone. God, may we accept your yoke that is easy and light. May we accept your rest. May we know how well you know us, how deeply you love us. May that change everything. Would you give us the courage by your spirit to live prophetic lives? testifying to your reality in the real details of our world. May we be like like prophets, that you would be as real to us as our neighbor, and that our neighbor would be the place where you're at work in the world, that we would exist for the benefit of those around us and see the freedom and joy that you have, that that could be ours. We love you, God. Thank you for the amazing, nuanced, detailed, specific way your word comes to us. Bear the fruit now of your kingdom and your church. In Jesus' name, amen.